Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Serene Team. Serene Team is Psyche Truth's web and phone application that is dedicated to helping you find relaxation, reduce anxiety, reduce your stress, and improve your sleep overall. So they have hundreds and hundreds of different video and audio tools that help you achieve that. And it's really awesome. Definitely go check it out. There's some free content that you can check out. And then after that, if you like it, check out the subscription. Also, we are brought to you today by Yoga Plus. Yoga Plus is a yoga app that has hundreds and hundreds of different yoga series and classes, different asanas and flows for whatever you're looking to do from building strength to improving flexibility. It's got everything. So definitely check that out as well. You can start your free trial on the app. So go download Yoga Plus. Today's guest is Eugene Trufkin. Eugene has his bachelor in psychology. He's the founder of Trufkin Athletics and he's the author of the Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. So I got Eugene on today because his book, obviously, The Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide, is all about decoding and understanding what it is that you're actually getting at the grocery store. There's lots of different key phrases and marketing terms that get thrown around nowadays that make it really hard to tell what is even organic, what is grass-fed, what is free-range, what is vegetarian-fed, what do all these words even mean? Because at the end of the day, we don't really know. And there's quite a bit of deception there. So Eugene actually worked really heavily with a lot of different scientists and researchers um, on the background and what's actually going on at these farms. He visited tons of factory farms and actual free-range farms. So he was a really, really cool guest to have on. Um, And he offers you a lot of great advice as to how to figure out what to buy to make sure that you're being as healthy as possible. One more thing before I let you go, please leave a review. Please leave a review for the podcast so we know how we're doing. It really helps us out a lot. So go ahead, welcome Eugene, and yeah, everybody enjoy the show. Day, Eugene. No, thank you. Thank you, Ryan, for having me on as a guest. Yeah. And so, uh, like, you know, when all of us go to the grocery store, it's extremely difficult to figure out what these different labels mean between organic, grass fed, grain fed, free range. Just there's a million different kind of buzzwords now that a lot of the uh, marketing teams at these companies use, and we don't know what they mean. And so, Eugene's going to really break that down for us and help explain what all these things mean and what we really need to be buying to ensure we're getting really healthy food. Yeah, so um, I guess before to be uh, before we begin, I would like to say like I was actually born and raised on a biodynamic farm in Ukraine. Oh, cool. So basically, when I immigrated here and I came over to the U.S. and for the first time I went to the grocery store at age ten, uh, like I thought the U.S. has mastered like biodynamic farming, and biodynamic farming is basically kind of like what most people have in their mind's eye of what farming is. You know, you have like the mom and the dad and they have like a bunch of different animals, the pigs, the cows, the chickens living on one type of farm and they raise like a bunch of different crops. So I thought that's basically how food was produced in the US as well. And I'm like, man, Americans, they're so smart. They've kind of mastered food production if they can create such an abundance of food that's readily available at the grocery store. Uh, And for the longest time, I purchased food, like the cheapest food possible, like at at places like Costco or like, 
you know, like Albertsons or Ralph's. I don't know if you guys have those in your area, but, and didn't even think twice about it because it all looked the same. So I thought that's just how the food production practices were. But then about like um, three to four years ago, I ran into like a video on YouTube by Paul Check called The Dirt Facts. And that made me question like a lot of stuff in terms of how food was produced in the US and provided to the supermarket level. And then basically um, after that, I, became, I began investigating a lot and noticed just how complicated the food production system has become, kind of what you hinted at at the introduction. And I thought that was like a little silly because all I wanted at the end of the day was just healthy food that's produced naturally. And a lot of times that's almost impossible to find, you know? So like a lot of people, they don't care for the most part in terms of uh, whether they're getting food that's gonna optimize their health. But even for the people that do care these days, it's tough to really find food that's gonna optimize their health. So for example, just as a quick example, uh, let's just say you have like, um, let's just say you have like a health coach, for instance, uh, and they tell you to buy free range organic chicken. And basically like 99% of people for the most part are going to go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So they're going to go to the grocery store and they're going to see that free range organic chicken and they're going to purchase that. In their mind's eye, what they're seeing is basically chicken that's roaming outside 24 seven in open pasture and kind of like fed a species specific diet. But in reality, kind of like what free range means is basically they have like a huge industrial shed with about like 30 to 50,000 chickens stuck in this one shed. Uh, the space for the chickens is about one square foot or 1.5 square foot per chicken. So that's basically like a sheet of printing paper. And what free range indicates is basically they just need access to the outdoors. They don't actually need to go outdoors. So I can be, there are a few things that can happen here. I can be a farmer and just have like a netting and just cut like a small hole in that netting and say, they, there, they have access to the outdoors. So I can be classified as free range. In most cases, what happens is they have like a small little concrete kind of patio, like a smoke pit area. And uh, if you usually go to these kind of facilities, what ends up happening is you have usually like 50 to 60 chickens outside in this concrete patio. And then basically the rest of the 50,000 plus chickens are still stuck inside. Mm. So they actually never, never see, never see daylight at all. And that has, I know that has more to do with uh, the ethics of the husbandry of raising animals. And a lot of, some people are like, oh, I don't care if they're raised that way or not, for sure. But the more important thing to consider in this situation is, like, in my opinion, it doesn't matter like what your goal is in life or what your purpose is in life. Like mental and physical health should always be number one, because you won't be able to achieve any of that stuff if you're not mentally or physically healthy. You know, like, how are you going to achieve like being a computer programmer if you have like major depression or like how are you going to be a really good construction worker with like low back pain or stuff of that sort you know what i mean yeah so having said that with these operations with the free range even when it says free range for instance and organic these chickens in this example are not fed a species specific diet and what that means is basically chickens are omnivores they eat like bugs insects they eat different vegetables. They have like a huge variety in their diet. But with these operations, when they're kind of stuck in a single shed and they're not able to go anywhere, they're basically fed nothing but corn and soy. So in this case, since we're talking about the organic category, it is organic corn and soy. 
but it doesn't matter. And because a grain is a grain. So what happens when you feed an animal that's an omnivore naturally, nothing but like, for instance, like a vegetarian diet, and it says this on the labeling as well, which isn't actually a good thing, is it shoots the omega-6 way up and basically keeps the omega-3 steady, but increases the omega-6 quite a bit. And omega-6 is a pro-inflammatory micronutrient. So <clears throat> people that are eating this food group, it's going to be another addition of inflammation to their body. And if a person looks up like inflammation theory of disease, you'll see predominantly 90, 95 plus percent of all diseases arise just from chronic inflammation in your body. And obviously you're going to be eating this chicken like two or three times a day. Let's say like 10 years later, it's going to add up like quite a bit. And all this time, the consumer, the healthy consumer that was really trying to make the best decision for their health and optimize their health was thinking they're actually eating like very health promoting food. So that's, and that deception is across the board, you know, with like the hidden facts about GMOs, uh, with pork, with beef and all that, all that other stuff. So, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something that should, first of all, be pretty alarming to people that it's especially cause like you're saying, um, people that think that they're making these really health conscious decisions when they're buying this food. Um, and, and when in fact it's, it's really not not as healthy as you think that you're buying. You're paying a lot more money to oftentimes than if you would get the, the really low end meats or foods. And you're still getting something that's really not that high quality in terms of the, the nutrition, in terms of what, what the animal is actually being fed, how it's being treated. And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to, to think about it that way. And so obviously, like, like you said, with the chickens right there, um, and I assume basically that, that same essential idea can be probably applied to most of the other animal products that get sold, like with, you know, your eggs, with your pork, with your beef. Um, and so another thing that I, I did want to ask you about as well is with, cause I've heard a lot of kind of conflicting things about with beef production and now it's becoming, cause there's the same thing with if it's organic or not. And now there's grass fed, but then there's still grain finished beef and then there's grass fed grass finished. Would you mind kind of going into kind of the differences between all those things? Yeah. So that's, a, there's a, there's a lot of deception in beef production as well. And basically, a lot of people will uh, understand that like, oh, grass-fed beef does provide like more omega-3, better ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. But there's a lot of deception in that labeling as well, because basically, all cattle are grass-fed. So for instance, let's say there's a two-year production cycle from like birthing to the slaughterhouse in terms of raising, let's say like a cow, right? And basically 90% of that uh, cow's life, they're going to spend on pasture eating grass. So a lot of times when they say grass fed on the label, they're not lying. It is grass fed. But the problem is 90% of those cows then are sent to a feedlot a few months before they're slaughtered and fed nothing but once again, corn and soy. Mm. So it shoots. And during those few months of feeding, because it's so intensive, it ruins the natural omega-3 to omega-6 ratio we spoke about with the other category food group, the chicken. So mm -hmm. once again, you're going to get a tremendous amount of omega-6 with a lower depreciated amount of omega-3. So that's going to be causing inflammation in your body as well. So 
and they could sell it at, they could tell you it's grass fed and it is true it's grass fed but it's grass fed and grain finished mm -hmm. also sometimes um like i was buying uh this 100 percent 100 percent grass fed sometimes you want to look for 100 percent grass fed or grass fed and grass finished labels that indicates probably it most likely is actually raised on pasture and then lives on pasture until it's sent to a slaughterhouse and that way it's fed grass pretty much the entire time but there's a little bit of wiggle room here too so i was buying this beef for quite a while and then i finally decided to contact the company that produces it and they're like yeah, uh, it is 100% grass fed, but what happens is they're raised on pasture and then basically sent to a feedlot a few months before they're going to be uh, processed and fed nothing but grass pellets. Mm. So they're not even basically, they're, they're not finished on pasture. So right. a lot of times people would buy this food group because they want to support more ethical and humane treatment of animals. But once again, it's still kind of supporting the same food production practice of like this huge feedlot factory farmed operation. And also uh, farmers can feed cattle hay and still it'd be considered 100% grass fed. Or sometimes uh, it'll say pasture raised on the label, but not necessarily indicate it's grass fed. And in that case, uh, what happens sometimes is a few months before the cattle are processed the farmer would bring out bins full of nothing but grains and leave them on pasture mm. but then these grains are kind of like candy for the cattle you know so they end up just hanging around the bins and just kind of like eating that grain instead of like their vegetables which will be the grass for instance you know mm -hmm. so once mm -hmm. again shooting that omega-6 uh shooting that omega-6 way up wow yeah, yeah and then so, so I mean, that, again, that's super interesting, and it's it's amazing that they're able to basically, you know, they might practice good practices on on the animals for you know ninety percent of the life, but like you're saying, that last few months of life right before they're slaughtered completely alters the the nutrient makeup of of the meat that you're eventually buying because, like you said, all they're in complete diet shifts, and not only is that diet going to be um, unhealthy for the animal anyways, in terms of like the omega ratio and all that. But even more so, you would think that if an animal goes from one environment eating a certain type of food and then drastically changes their complete lifestyle and diet like, so drastically in that way for the last few months, the amount of stress and different, you know, cortisol and stress factors that are being released inside the animal as well are also probably through the roof, I would imagine. Yeah, there's that factor as well. And then there's an old like Native American kind of saying where if you eat the flesh of like miserable animals, you too will kind of like accumulate that misery in your body as well. So there are kind of like a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, that's the way you described it is a more scientific approach. And that is true, uh, especially when they're sent to um, not well managed like slaughter facilities that will also cause that uh, huge spike in adrenaline, huge spike in cortisol. Uh, and then it kind of toughens the meat and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. And then, so kind of like you were you were kind of hinting at earlier, um, what what does organic mean? So you have the USDA who makes whatever these guidelines are for something to be classified as an organic product. But uh, would you be able to kind of break down what exactly that necessarily means? Yeah. So it depends on the it depends on the product we're talking about. So the USDA, everyone has probably seen the USDA organic symbol. It's usually kind of like a circular symbol, and in my opinion, it's still a strong label. Mm -hmm. But it has it has some weaknesses. It's a strong label in the sense that it is a good way at the supermarket level 
for you to avoid exposure to synthetic like biocides or pesticides or whatever you want to call them. It is your best bet at reducing your exposure to those chemicals. So I would always, even if you shop at the supermarket, I would always just shop for like USDA uh, certified organic, organic produce, but there are limitations. So um, like we mentioned with the free range USDA organic chicken, you know, so what that means is basically it's factory farming with organic grains. Mm. That's really the only difference um, in, in that case. So also taking into consideration that the U.S. gets like half of its grains from overseas, like from places like Turkey and Ukraine. And because of that, there's a lot of um, corruption at the broker level in those countries. So basically the grain is like factory farmed or conventionally produced with a lot of like harmful synthetic pesticides. And then basically at the broker level, the person at the shipping container just changes the paperwork a little and it's imported as organic grain. Mm. So then when you take that into consideration, um, sometimes there is no difference, you know? Like mm -hmm. in my opinion, after doing all my research, I would recommend just not buying chicken or pork at the supermarket. Mm. Would you uh, say those are the two kind of worst meats in terms of supermarket quality? Yeah, exactly. Those are the ones that basically, uh, they're going to be factory farmed or what, no matter what. They're not going to, uh, at the supermarket, they're not going to sell pasture-raised meats mm. uh, in those two categories. Right. So they're not going to sell pasture-raised uh, pork, especially. And like, it's really tough to find pasture-raised chicken at the supermarket. I remember Whole Foods used to sell like a step five, uh, which is their rating system, pasture-raised chicken, where you have to kind of like go to the meat counter do a special order and then come like a week later and then they'll have it for you, you know, but they oh, even okay. stop, at least in my area, they stop doing that. They no longer even do that. So even at Whole Foods, which people perceive as like the apex of food production of healthy food production, their category, their best chicken category is going to be that free range chicken, that free range USDA organic chicken we spoke about earlier, which isn't that great of a category. And that's like the best they're going to offer you. They do have some good food options, but I would say they're pork, and chicken isn't something like I would buy personally. Okay. So, yeah. And, and for those vegetarians out there listening, um, the U.S. is the only country, uh, from my understanding, that allows hydroponics, fruits, and vegetables to be sold as USDA organic. Oh, interesting. So no other, no other country, even the places where they kind of invented hydroponics, which I think was in um, Denmark or like some kind of European country, I forgot, but... Even there, they do allow the production of hydroponics, but it can't be sold as organic. Mm. But they can take those uh, that produce, ship it to the U.S. and sell it as organic in the U.S. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was going to be another question I had is because obviously we're talking a lot about different meat products. But I would imagine with like vegetable produce and things in that regard, that you probably run into some of the same issues in terms of understanding kind of what you're getting in your, in your product. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's tricky. Like at Whole Foods, they have at Whole Foods they do have like a local section, and typically the only source from like farms that are like fifty miles away mm -hmm. uh, from the location. So they do have that local section that does provide organic produce, which is probably most likely good to buy. But that's rare to find in like most places in the U.S. Most places in the U.S. they have like Walmart mm -hmm. to go to. And Walmart actually is the biggest distributor of organic produce. 
Like a lot of people don't know that, but they're like totally dominating the market. And they do have, if you do want to shop like supermarket level organic, it at least gives you the option, which is great. And I kind of value them for, for doing that. And it is once again, the best way to decrease your exposure to all sorts of harmful agricultural chemicals. So at least there's some kind of like standard for USDA, USDA certified organic. Um, most of the time, if you want to optimize your nutrition, a lot of the companies that sell two huge chains like that typically rely on like huge monocropping operations. So this is basically where they're growing one type of vegetable in like acre and acre after acre after acre. And the problem with that is it depletes the soil of a certain mineral content that's required to produce that kind of crop. And when that happens, it kind of weakens the soil because it's in a deficit of a certain certain micronutrients, which would happen in a person's body too. You know, like if you're very low, chronically very low on a certain amount of vitamins, you're probably going to have some kind of health consequences later on. So this happens with crop production as well. And what happens is basically the soil isn't able to produce healthy crop and uh, strong crop rather. And when that happens, pests are nature's way of basically getting rid of weak vegetables and fruits. Mm. So you got to look at it that way. So they wouldn't come around if the fruits were or the vegetables were very strong. And basically what happens when the soil is weak, it grows weak vegetables, the pests come around and this requires the farmer then to use exponentially more chemicals, like every season. You can see how that kind of like tumbles down. And when they use more chemicals, it weakens the soil even more. And then it kind of like is this vicious cycle, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, even sure. if it's um, even if it's organic chemicals, I mean like way too much copper, for instance, could also cause like a deficit in like the nutrient quality in the soil. And then once again, when the soil is weak, not only do they have to use more chemicals as well, but also just the nutritional profile of the crop is going to be lower too for those people that are interested in optimizing the nutritional profile of the vegetables and fruits. So, okay. And so with, um, when you're shopping for fruits and vegetables, for example, obviously, like you said, there, there can be issues of if they're hydroponically grown and they're still technically organic. Um, but is there any way for people in the supermarket to kind of be able to decipher between kind of what's going to be truly organic versus what's something else that might kind of not exactly be like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that one's tough. I mean, basically at the end of the day, you just have to uh, call the company. Yeah. Do some research. Um, yeah. You got to do some research and it's tricky too, because like if you call like a company that's doing hydroponics and selling it as organic and you ask them, Oh, do you sell your produce in, um, in soil? They'll go, yeah, we do. But they do maybe a certain portion of it, but not all of it. You, know? mm -hmm. so you have to be like very specific with your language because they're going to try to like cut around the corner as much as, just like the grass fed claim we mentioned before. They weren't lying. It is grass fed, but it's not great grass finished. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much lying, wiggle. But... Yeah. There's so much wiggle room. And especially the average American consumer these days is so far detached from the farming lifestyle. It's like, you don't know the right questions to ask, or you don't know when someone is like playing around with you, you know what I mean? So you'd mm -hmm. be like, oh, okay. And then just continue to buy that probably for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. So absolutely. one thing, yeah, one thing you can do is you can call the company and ask them. Uh, I know if it says Driscoll's on it, it's most likely grown hydroponically in my opinion. You can probably, that's like most blueberries, I think sold probably nationwide. 
Um, but you could ask them like, do you sell, do you produce your vegetables in, uh, do you produce 100% of your vegetables in soil? And if they go, no, then okay, just to be on the safe side, then you can kind of avoid them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Another thing you can do is, um, although a lot of people are still going to avoid on this, uh, still going to depend on the supermarket and I still go to the supermarket as well is basically, uh, there are other places they can check out. There's a website called eatwild.com. And they have like an interactive map of the US and you can click on your state and it'll show you arrows of pasture raised operations, biodynamic operations. And most of these companies are making it more convenient these days, like they have home delivery services, you know, so they just deliver like straight to your house. So um, then you know, uh, most likely it's, if it's on that side, it's most likely like a very good operation. And on top of that, I mean, if you're one of those that you have to see it to believe it kind of thing, just call the company. Like I'm sure 99.999% of the companies on that website will just be happy to give you a tour because they're not going to be ashamed of what you see, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, one piece of advice a person can use to know the right questions to ask is Joel Salatin has a cool product called the Joel Salatin semester series. And it's basically, um, I think like a 10 hour DVD set that teaches you how to be like a good small farmer. Mm. This isn't for people that are interested in being a small farmer, but at least they'll know the questions to ask and what to see if the small farmer is a good farmer. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times also, if they're like a small farmer, um, that doesn't mean they're, they're good either. You know what I mean? Like for instance, I could sell pasture raised chicken as a small farmer, let's just say that. And unknowingly you show up to my farm and I have basically an open shed uh, with like, let's say 10,000 chickens in a one acre, one acre plot of land. And they are allowed outdoor access all the time. You see them running around, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, you're like, okay, this operation is legit. But there are two problems with that kind of setup, for instance, is first, if you're not rotating that quantity of chickens to fresh pasture almost daily, that many chickens will consume everything in that one acre in like a day. So they'll eat all the bugs, all the insects, all the edible vegetation. And then what are you stuck having to feed them? Corn and soy. Because mm-hmm. you have to bring inputs in because you can't take the chicken somewhere else to feed on something else. So once again, you run into that same problem of getting that omega-6 way high, keeping that omega-3 low, so causing inflammation in your body. Um, and then I could be feeding them GMO corn and soy. Like if you don't know to ask me, you know what I mean? Or I could be buying my corn and soy from a foreign company like Turkey or Ukraine, like imported. So there's a high chance that it could be contaminated with genetically modified corn and soy. You know what I mean? There's like so much wiggle room. Yeah. So when you're, when you're trying to optimize your nutrition, you can see how difficult it becomes. Just yeah, to find something confusing. that's, yeah, just to find something that's should be so easy to find, but it's become so confusing these days. And that's kind of, why I even got on the subject. I'm like, dude, in the beginning, it started with me. I just wanted good eggs, you know? And I'm like, dude, this is going to be easier than I thought, you know? And then three years later, I'm still researching this subject. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I think you, you touched on a good point about it too, is just about, in particular, Americans, but I think it's starting to become even more worldwide as, yeah. you know, human population grows and it's just becoming more and more difficult to feed so many people. Um, but people just become so disconnected from where their food comes from to where now, you know, you don't, 
when you just go to the grocery store, the supermarket every day, and that's where you get your food, you don't have any connection with anything that goes into the food that is being made. You don't have any idea how the animals were treated. You don't know like anything about the food, but you just consume it because it's easy to not worry about what you don't know. Kind of like, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of, kind of situation there. But then once you start really learning about kind of what goes into the food that you eat every day, it is pretty alarming. And it is something that I think people really do need to take pretty seriously in terms of what they're putting into their bodies. Um, and luckily, yeah, kind of like you said, that there are a lot more smaller farms that produce much higher quality and use better ethics in terms of how they produce their food. So that's like a really good option for people. Um, and kind of some of the things you went through do help people in terms of getting through the, the whole grocery store situation because there are still at least better options there as well. Um, and another, another question I did have as well was with like the GMO situation. So with GMOs, obviously GMOs can or cannot be used for organic, um, organic foods. Yeah, they cannot be used if the product is certified USDA organic. But um, there's a lot of of that of that produce that's made it into the organic cycle, as I've described before. Right, you know, right. so um, your best bet is to ask if it's like if the grain, if the soy and corn is produced locally. Mm. I'm not saying corruption doesn't exist in the U.S. It definitely does. Like for instance, there's a farmer like a few months ago that distributed like nine percent of all the soy sold in the U.S. And they caught him like totally blatantly just messing around with all the papers and just growing the crop conventionally and selling it as organic. Mm. And they gave him 10 years and he ended up like committing suicide, you know? Wow. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the U S it definitely does, but it's a way it's not like just normal business practice. Like it is in a lot of other countries where like I'm from Ukraine and there is a tremendous amount of corruption there. You know, it's like, it's business as usual there where in the U S it's still kind of like not business as usual. It's like more of like an exception than the rule, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah. so, um, and so when, when another thing I did actually have a question about is because, cause I noticed this when I was shopping the other day is there's a lot of times where you're trying to pick, you know, the best possible quality of meat, for example. And so you'll have one that says organic, and then you'll have another one that says, you know, 100% grass fed, but it's not organic. And then you have another one that says, you know, grass fed, no hormones, no GMOs, no, none of that stuff, but it doesn't say organic either. Would you say there's like a best option in terms of when you have like all these different, they're almost like a little bit conflicting because it's a little bit weird when you don't see the organic, but then you have all these other factors that you're trying to keep in mind. Yeah, exactly. And that's like super confusing. That's like one of the most confusing things. It's like, it's like almost like going into relationships with people. It's like they have this character trait and this character trait, but not this one. And then mm -hmm. that one has that one, but not the first two. It's like, dude, I just want all of them. You know? Yeah. So it's like, it's super, uh, it's super confusing. Uh, it varies from product to product, but let's say with the beef that you talked about, uh, you want to see pasture, 100% pasture raised, 100% grass fed, and then uh, ideally a good USDA organic label on there. Mm -hmm. That's a good, that's, that's probably the best uh, thing you can do at the supermarket level outside of just going there and seeing, seeing it for your own eyes, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, pasture raised, 100% grass fed. And then 
also USDA organic certified. If they also have a non-GMO non -GMO project verified label on there, that's also great. If you see those like in terms of your GMO question, if you see USDA organic plus non-GMO project verified stamp on the same label, that's the gold standard for GMO avoidance. Also just avoiding anything with corn and soy will decrease basically like 99, maybe this number is too exaggerated, but let's just say 90% of GMOs are basically corn and soy. Mm. Corn and soy, uh, canola and cotton. So you basically avoid products with those four ingredients and you're most likely gonna be GMO free. Oh wow! But then it's tricky too because like, then someone will go like, oh, I'm eating this chicken but then the chicken is fed GMO corn and soy, and then you're still getting that residual impact of having that GMO corn and soy. So it's kind of like, you can see it's like uh, a chess game, you know? Like one mm -hmm. move here is countered by two moves here, like caveats here. Like one move here is countered by caveats here. Yeah. And the industry does that on purpose because they know, the factory farm industry knows people aren't going to buy their stuff if they know how it's really produced, you know? So they have to hide behind this veal of, secrecy and confusion and um that's their only hope on staying in business honestly and factory farming hasn't been around forever it's just kind of made its way in 1960 the two inventors were like two american guys called uh, john and don tyson they're just business guys they're not even like farmers and they basically saw an opportunity and they invented the factory farm system they started with poultry and right now they're like tyson foods you probably mm -hmm. heard about them they're the biggest at one point, they're the biggest meat producer, period. Pork, uh, cattle, plus poultry. But I think now they're, I think, still the biggest poultry producer. But I don't keep up with the economics of, of that industry too much. So, Yeah. What about with, uh, like, when people go out to eat? Because obviously, when you go out to eat, then you really have no control or any idea of what you're getting. Um, is, there any, is there any ways for people to try and, eat best when in terms of eating out because obviously like you would assume fast food chains are not going to have anything very quality in them but even even restaurants you still i would imagine a lot of times they're not probably using the highest quality of of meats or food so it's kind of that's another tricky spot i think that a lot of people get stuck in as well yeah basically you can't avoid gmos if you eat out mm -hmm. end of story uh, you're going to get exposure to them you're also because like even a lot of these like fancier places, they still use those industrial cooking oils, which are just made from like GMOs anyways. Um, so it's like you're ordering wild caught salmon from Alaska. Okay, great. But then what are they cooked in? <laughs> They're cooked into those harmful, like super pro-inflammatory industrial oils. And that's going to kind of seep into the nutritional profile of that fish. Then you're going to eat it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times too, I've been noticing... Um, people coming in with distressed guts a lot, like in the last, like, I think three or four years. And there are a lot of steps to go to correct that. But one of the biggest ones I noticed with clients is once they stopped eating out, their gut cleared up for the most part, you know, obviously there's a lot, a lot of other stuff that could be done too, depending on the severity of the condition. But that's like one of the biggest steps forward. Um, yeah. And unfortunately it's like, dude, even if you're eating at like nice restaurants, it's still kind of, um, still kind of questionable. They're probably still sourcing their stuff from like factory farms, but able to season it really well. Once again, even if they're sourcing from better, better sources, which some of them are, what are they cooking in? Okay. If you ask the waiter, they're not going to know. Mm -hmm. They're going to say no. 
you know what I mean? Or the chef might even not even be that knowledgeable about that either. It's not like they know biology well. They just know how to cook very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because that's I think that is a tough one. And I guess ideally people might just need to <laughs> eat out a little bit less. Um, and to be fair, it might save you some money as well. So it's not like the worst, it's not the worst decision to make. Um, and then so I, I also wanted to kind of see, because I know you said, you got into you got into all of this just because you wanted to find fresh eggs, but would you want to go over a little bit more about your journey and how you like you've obviously have done extensive research on these things and it's something you're very passionate about. So I think it'd be interesting for you to kind of give a little bit more about your background if if that's cool with you. Yeah, um, background in terms of doing the research for this book. Yeah, yeah, and talking and and about your book as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, basically, like I grew up on a biodynamic farm in Ukraine for quite a while. So I got like firsthand experience in terms of what good food production practices look like because our animals were literally outside 24-7. We had cows, pigs, geese, chicken, um, uh, who knows what else, whatever. We had ducks as well. Uh, we grew like a variety of crops, a lot of grapes also, uh, because grape production in Ukraine is very big. Uh, so there's a lot of biodiversity going on. Just in that one farm, we have probably, if you count the crops as well, I don't know, like 30, 40 different species groups, you know, where today in the food production, like I mentioned before, is just monocropping. Like this guy sells, this guy produces carrots, this guy produces chicken, this guy produces celery. And it doesn't cause a regenerative process in the soil. And soil is basically what we all come out of and then what we all go back into. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like if you ruin the foundation, then it doesn't matter what happens after that. It's like you can't build a house. You, it, even if you build like a super good house on top of a poor foundation, it will still collapse, you know? So it all starts with those basics, the, the basic foundation. And um, I worked for a while, not worked, but volunteered rather for a while on a biodynamic farm near where I live called Bluebird Canyon Farms. And I'm thankful for letting them do that to allow me to volunteer on that because it kind of gave me a refresher course of what good food production practices are and the basics of how to, you know, how to go about raising, raising food as well. And then interviewed like a bunch of people ranging from Joel Salatin. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. Um, Dave Chapman from the Real Organic Project, Jim Riddle, he was like a 25-year veteran USDA organic auditor mm. as well. Um, Paul Cech was a huge role model for me. This guy named Jator Pierre kind of really helped, um, helped me understand the impact of how grains impact the nutritional profile of the meat. Because I wouldn't know if I wouldn't have run, run into him, then I wouldn't even known that's something to look at. You know what I mean? I'm like, Oh, it's organic grains. What does it matter? Right. Uh, right. Foods, food. So he helped me see the importance of that. And that kind of opened up my eyes to, uh, basically the importance of having a species specific diet, uh, in, in terms of optimizing the, the quality of that meat that you're purchasing. Uh, Chloe from happy hens, she owns like, a pasture rate, like, like legit 100% pasture raised egg uh, production practice, like about two hours from where I live. Uh, they're raised 100% outdoors. They're rotated onto fresh pasture with any uh, fresh pasture daily. 
with any kind of supplemental feed they're given. They're not even given like corn and soy, for instance, they're corn and soy free, which is very rare to run into. Like corn and soy is like industry, industry practice basically, because it's heavily subsidized by the taxpayer. So it's a bit cheaper. And the biggest cost to the farmer is the feed to feed these animals. That takes about 80% of the cost. So if you can reduce that quite a bit, you increase your profit margins quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So it's advantageous to rely on corn and soy. That's another, that's another huge topic as well. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, outside of just reading a bunch of books, watching a bunch of YouTube videos, ordering a bunch of uh, informational videos as well, like Joel Salatin's semester series. Uh, I did interview like a bunch of other people that I have online. And I'm sorry, like if I forgot their name, thank you for letting me interview you and give me your input. But that's that's the general idea of how I went about went about doing that, and then also giving, I don't know, like so many grocery store tours at this point. I've lost I've lost uh, count, so I know kind of like the general confusion and the questions people ask and the myths that kind of like let them justify the purchase of factory farm food. We can go into that as well, but that might take uh, a few more minutes if you like. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Please do. Yeah, like a lot of times I give give grocery store tours to people and they're like, uh, they know, just to keep it simple, let's say with vegetables, they know they're those factory farmed vegetables or conventionally farmed vegetables. I use those two synonymously with one another because a lot of people, when you say conventional farming, sometimes they think that's like traditional farming. Mm -hmm. But when you say factory farming, although factory farming typically just applies to meat production, then they instantly know it's like industrialized with a lot of chemicals and all that stuff. So I just say factory farming because it's more clear in the mind's eye of the average consumer instead of using the phrase conventional farm. And basically, they would say like, oh, I know it's, uh, there, there are three underlying myths uh, that basically let a person justify the purchase of factory farm. One is, they always tell me like, oh, the government wouldn't allow toxic chemicals to be used in food production practices. And that couldn't be further from the truth because little do you know, most of these agricultural pesticides, the actual complete formulation is never tested for safety. Which is kind of crazy to hear because you think like, oh, 2019, sure enough, they know these chemicals are dangerous and they're going to test them for safety. But it's not legally required for these chemical companies to test the complete formulation for safety. Wow. What they have to do legally is basically they have two ingredients. To, uh, they have many ingredients, but two overriding categories of ingredients. They have the active ingredient and inactive ingredient. And what these chemical companies have to uh, do to pass the safety testing is basically just test the active ingredient in isolation on its own without the presence of the inactive ingredients. Mm. But the purpose of the inactive ingredients is just to make the active ingredient stronger and more resilient in the environment. So of course, if you take those out, it's gonna decrease the potency of the, in, of the active ingredient and make it more likely to pass these safety tests. Wow, yeah, that's pretty Com incredible. Yeah, common sense would tell me like, dude, you gotta use the entire freaking formulation. Yeah, and for the sure. only the only person I know that's done any testing on long-term effects of the entire formulation is a guy named uh, this company called Seralini Labs, I think in France. And they can go, the uh, listener can go to pubmed.gov and see all his research. And he's only started doing this, like, I think a few years ago, like three or four years ago, is the first person to actually test the entire formulation for safety. 
And every time he finds that the toxicity of the active ingredient is way higher, way more persistent, way more toxic. And I'm like, dude, these chemicals have been around for how long? And it's like, this is the first guy to even like think of like, oh, I'm just going to test the entire formulation. Yeah, that's insane. I can't believe that no one's ever tested that kind of stuff before. You would think surely that they would. I guess maybe they're too scared. They're like, we don't want to yeah. see what it could be. Exactly. And um, there's a good book on the subject called The Myth of Safe Pesticides by Andre Liu. I had a chance to interview him extensively as well. And when I ran into that book doing this research, I thought, honestly, it was exaggerating. I'm like, dude, there's no way that the safety testing is like this silly. But after then so many weeks of research, I'm like, dude, this is how it's actually tested for safety. Like countless credible sources will also acknowledge that this is how it's tested for safety. Another problem is it's all tested in-house by the chemical company's scientists. Right, right. So of course, when someone's paying your paycheck, and you're not if if your research shows that their product isn't going to be healthy and they need to go back and retweak things and invest millions of more dollars for research it's like dude you're not going to speak out against that because the people will be like dude you want this paycheck once every two weeks okay then make sure the study is run in a way that shows that it's safe end of story mm. and they'll be like well I, I have families to feed and all that stuff and the thing is these come and then they take that research and then send it to the FDA that it, research done in-house at the chemical company with the scientists employed by the chemical company to the FDA. And then the FDA evaluates that research. Wow. And uh, the funny thing is, is they never disclose this research. It's all under company um, uh, intellectual property. So mm. they don't have to disclose it because it's like a private company or something. And uh, the only time this research ever gets leaked to the public is through some super major lawsuit or like a disgruntled employee leaks the paper somehow. And uh, almost always the research is like comical. It's like done by like a 10 year old child, you know, right. it's like never respected would never pass peer review. And another thing, all these chemical companies say is perfectly safe, but then why don't you disclose these studies? If yeah, you're so really. confident. Like if you graduated from Stanford with straight A's, why wouldn't you say that on the resume? You know what I mean? Unless like you're trying to hide something. Like why would you just say like, just ignore that fact? You know what I mean? It's kind of silly. It's, it's obvious. Like when there is a doubt, like in my, one of my favorite movies, Ronan, I forgot the, uh, ah, he's a famous actor. I always forget these guys' names in times of need. Uh, Robert De Niro. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert De Niro. He's like, when there is any doubt, there's never doubt. You yeah. Know? So it's kind of like, dude, it's obviously these guys are kind of like pulling some shady strings and that's why they're being so secretive about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another common myth is like, oh, like, uh, people are like, oh, I'll just wash it off. I'll just wash off these pesticides. I was going to ask about that. I was definitely going to ask about washing and if it does anything or not. Yeah. Most, most pesticides are systemic pesticides. So they get so soaked up by the, by the actual root of the plant and become uh. embedded in the flesh of the plant. So wow. they're actually part of the nutritional profile of the plant. And there's no washing that off. You, you could wash off a small percentage of it, small residue percentage of it on the top. Uh, but for instance, like one FDA study showed that like just a random batch of strawberries had like 20 different pest, trace amounts of 20 different pesticides in it. Jeez. Just inside so the actual fruit? Inside the actual fruit. 
Jeez. So it's like you're eating these strawberries thinking I'm getting like antioxidants and all these vitamins and these trace amounts of minerals and all that stuff. Yeah, you're getting all that stuff maybe in depreciated value, but what you're also getting with it as a bonus is probably like five or 10 trace amounts of five or 10 different pesticides that are known to cause like cancer, gut issues, all sorts of other issues as well, you know? So that's another example of a person trying to be healthy and once again, being deceived, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So, with so with stuff like that with the pesticides in particular is that included if if you get an organic fruit is there no pesticides used yeah so uh once again um if it's one of these huge companies obviously they're going to be using they're going to be monocropping probably so remember when you're monocropping more uh, more pests come around usually because mm -hmm. the soil is weaker the crops are weaker so they use like organically approved pesticides, okay. like small farmers, like for instance, the farm I worked at on uh, some organic pesticide examples would include um, like soap and water or uh, vegetable oil and water. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's like if they're a good organic farmer, they'll be using stuff of that sort. Um, and obviously like what's soap and water, you know what I mean? Spraying soap and water on the vegetable, it's not a big deal. Also mm -hmm. copper is used and it's totally okay if it's not like overused because even copper is in like multivitamins you know what i mean it's like yeah a, it's something we need in our body so um so that's yeah, good to know then that at least if you shop organically in terms of pesticide avoidance ideally you'll hopefully be avoiding a lot of these pesticides in your fruits and veggies yeah, if you shop, even if it's at the grocery store level and you see that USDA organic symbol and you shop um, uh, like for fruits and vegetables, you're decreasing your exposure to synthetic, synthetic pesticides by a huge, huge amount, probably maybe even zero. That's been tested and shown across the board. It's not even arguable. People can check out this guy named Jim, Jim Riddle. He does a lot of interviews on it. Also, even in more popular shows like um, uh, Dr what's that guy from, he was hired by Oprah, Dr. Oz. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, like more popular shows are Dr. Axe on YouTube. They sent a lot of this produce to like third party testers and they showed that definitely organic produce at the supermarket. You either find zero or maybe one trace amount of some pesticide randomly here and there. But with the factory farm one, you always find them and you always find a myriad of these chemicals. And that goes back to another thing with the testing. Remember, the testing for the safety of these chemicals is done with one active ingredient in isolation on its own. But during a production cycle, a farmer can use like up to five or 10 different chemicals all at once. So obviously, like you've heard of all these celebrities, they use like 10 pharmaceuticals and they end up dying. You know what I mean? Even mm -hmm. those pharmaceuticals aren't tested for safety on how these 10 work together in synergy with one another. They're tested for safety one at a time, presuming you're doing everything else perfectly. That's the same thing, same thing with, with these products, you know? It's like no one knows the average newborn in America has trace amounts of 200 different chemicals in their bloodstream. Wow. Like, first of all, I think it's impossible to even do safety testing on that because there's so many confounding variables of how you kind of manage these 200 different complex variables all in one, all in one unit. But, I mean, it's safe to presume that that's not good for you. Just common yeah. sense will say that, that yeah. newborns starting their life with 200 different chemicals in their bloodstream, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I, I, I mean, those are all extremely important things for people to understand. And I mean, obviously, if nothing else is going to 
concern you about what you're shopping for, I, that definitely should and make you a bit more kind of cognitive and aware about what you're buying. Um, and then so, and I know kind of like we were talking about, you've, you wrote a book, correct? Yep. It's uh, titled The Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. So <laughs> I keep it to the point, you know, very simple because I, I meant to keep the information just very simple. For the person that's on the go, like they have a corporate job, they don't have the time to invest like I did in learning the food production practices, but it's like a simple like, what is this, what is this, what is this, and where could I buy the best category of this? And I include a link to that. I include also like a bunch of like video content that's included with the book, just to make it even simpler because some people are visual, so they can uh, just watch that video content. And it's like basically me giving a grocery store tour of which I give to people locally already and just talking to them exactly what I'm talking to you about, but in like a much, not so casual, but much more simplified like lecture, like boom, 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 buy it here. Like bam, bam, bam. Like this is cage-free, free range, pasture race, buy it here. You know what I mean? So it's very yeah. simple and to the point. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's a fantastic tool for people to use. So we'll definitely make sure that we include, is that book available just like from your website or from Amazon or where, where can you get it? Uh, both. Like the PDF is on my website and then the... Um, physical and Kindle versions are on Amazon. Awesome. Okay, cool. So yeah, we'll definitely include that because I, I mean, that could be super helpful for a lot of people because to have a guide like that, that really kind of encapsulates and probably goes into even further detail than on a lot of the things we talked about here today. I mean, that's super helpful for people. Um, so that's awesome. And then so do you have any other resources available online that f for people to connect with you more or anything like that? Yeah, I'm not super huge into social media, honestly. Uh, I do have like a YouTube channel and a Facebook uh, and then my website, truffkinathletics.com. It's like T-R-U-F-K-I-N athletics.com. And um, I guess the only thing I use the most is my email account, you know? So yeah. all that other stuff I post here and there, but I'm not like super into it, you know? Cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you again so much, Eugene. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about the, all this. I mean, it was super, super informative. And I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot and hopefully be able to really, really improve their shopping habits and improve their health you know, just by kind of trying, trying their best to follow these, these guidelines that you have helped basically set down. No, I thank you a lot. I mean, it's not a popular topic. I mean, it's a, it's a topic I'm passionate about, but I know nationwide, most people don't care about it. So I appreciate you kind of giving me voice and letting people, letting me communicate that there is like a huge difference, you know, and it does impact your health and impact the health of, as cheesy as it might sound, impact the health of the planet, you know, because obviously every time you're buying these products you're supporting the companies that are kind of keeping this cycle going and all that stuff so yeah yeah absolutely absolutely well yeah thank you again um like i said we'll be sure to put links to all your stuff under the video and under the the podcast information so people can find out more about you and get your book and just get get on a better track of their of their grocery shopping and so yeah thank you again eugene it was great to get to talk to you man cool thank you thank you Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.